poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Today, in this villager-centric episode, my guest is Kev Theo. I guess that's how we'll we'll refer to you, Kev. Um, Kev's been a part of the village for seven months, spending time with all of the CPG offerings as well as private coaching. In the same time period, Kev has had his biggest MTT score, winning 18K at the win, and has gone from a losing 10 NL player to a winning 200 NL player. I'm not taking credit for your victory at the win, considering I last played a tournament in the Reagan administration. Kev, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. It's good to have you on. Happy to see your um, your MTT success, and also, I mean, come on, ten and L. Were were we really playing ten and L seven months ago? Um, we were. I, I I think at that point in time, um, my thought, I guess, to online poker was more or less kind of splashing around and not so much taking it seriously in terms of a specific online bankroll management strategy and things like that. And I guess that's when I started to get more in tune to um, treating it, I guess, more professionally. Yeah. And your your path is similar to other villagers I've had on too, where I've, I'm one to press people whose skill level merits moving up in stakes um, as quickly as they can. And I, I like... <laughs> I don't want the listener to think that it's just like D-Gen, yo, you got to play bigger, like keep playing bigger and bigger. It's like, no, if your yeah. skill level, if your skill level allows you to, and your bankroll and life situation allows you to play bigger, then you really need to press and play bigger. Just the faster that you can move up, the less of an effect rake is, the more your hourly rate is, all the things, right? So yeah, that was, I, I did pressure you to move up. I'm happy that you've, you've taken the, <laughs> the risk at each step. And uh, let's start out this this show by asking, what's your story? Like, how did you find cards? Where are you coming from? Yeah, so I think as, as far as like cards in general, um, I got introduced to it at a very early age. Um, so my grandparents live pretty close. And basically, every time we went over to their house, we would end up playing cards. Um, so they were in a poker group of their own. And basically between my brothers, parents, grandparents, we would basically play some sort of card game every time that we went over there. 
Um, How it, old are it you? Seems like I'm 33. 33. So we're you're four yep. years younger than me. Cool. Yep. So it seems like you know I I always had like some sort of like handheld device growing up, whether it was like five card draw or blackjack or something like that. But um, I I got introduced to just cards in general very early on and. You know, part of that is definitely having older brothers as well. Yeah. Tell me about how you felt playing cards with your grandparents, how you felt playing cards with your brothers. Um, what was the attraction? I think I've always just kind of been into board games, puzzles, et cetera. And I, I think this kind of fit into it all. Um, I, I definitely think um, just getting introduced to money, earning it, gambling it, et cetera, was definitely a part of it all. Um, and I like competition. So I, I think that's been the case with everything that I've done in life. Um, and I think the opportunity to win something was, was just always an attraction for me. Yeah. When did the money get introduced? I assume not with your grandparents, right? Or maybe you're, you're gambling with your grandparents. <laughs> Um, they, they, they kind of set it up. So you basically won every time, but you could win more, um, by essentially earning it. What does that mean? <laughs> earning it. Um, so basically, you know, we were, we were just playing with pennies for instance, but you would start with, let's say 200. And if you basically, they would give us like, let's say it was like $10 every time we visited, um, anything you want on top of that, they would add to it. Okay. So you you were playing for stakes, even though you couldn't lose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Risk-free. Risk-free. Uh, and that was a young age. And at what point, you know, you mentioned competition, what other forms of competition have you immersed yourself into? And then at what age did you, you know, realize that like, oh, I can play this game for actual money? Um, yeah. So I think, I think there's probably a couple different answers here, but I got involved with gambling at a pretty early age. Just my friend group, basically, when we would do anything from playing pool or ping pong or bowling or golf, and then that all eventually led into card games, um, we would always be betting something on it. So I, I think How that come? was definitely, I, I'm not totally sure. Um, I, I do think it's partially due to um, older brothers and um, kind of, I guess, following suit. And um, I, I can even remember times where like we would do like trades or games for like candy on Halloween, for instance. So it, it was just like always something that I guess was uh, involved in most activities. Any tough losses in those early days of gambling that you remember? <laughs> um, I, I think we like sort of had this like, this like cap to anything that we did. Um, so that the losses couldn't be too extreme. Um, so it's kind of like an out at that point. Yeah. Um, but but nothing like too serious. <laughs> no, a limited amount of suffering. Some suffering, yeah, exactly. but but a limited amount. Yeah. Cool. So betting part of your life, the competition. Did you play sports in high school, stuff like that? Yeah. So I played soccer pretty competitively. Um, so that was definitely um, the priority sport for me. Um, so a lot of the competition definitely got stemmed from soccer as well. Yeah. And going to going through school. Now we'll talk about when 
actually playing poker for money kind of as an adult hit your radar because I assume, you know, you're yep. successful in your career life. So how, do, how did that all come about? So I think first being introduced to cards pretty early and eventually hold them during the poker boom is basically all that we did throughout middle school and high school um, with friend groups. Um, I definitely was very interested and excited to play it, um, but it unfortunately took a bit of a hiatus as I made my way into college. Um, I, I think my priorities were honestly just a little bit different at the time of just kind of living the, I guess, normal college lifestyle of going out a little too much and things like that. So poker kind of took a backseat for me. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely played from time to time every once in a while. You know, I, I would um, either play a home game or when I did actually turn 21, I would go to a casino for a day or two, but I really didn't get too invested in it until I actually moved away from Chicago. So this was into my professional career. Um, so I was born in Chicago and ended up moving to Minneapolis for another job. And my first weekend there, I didn't really know anybody and thought, hey, might as well go spend my time playing some poker. And I'm pretty sure I had a winning session. I honestly don't really remember, but I just had like this moment of like, I, I forgot how much I love doing this. Um, and I think the Minnesota poker community in particular, um, I kept seeing the same guys win and things like that, uh, just really started to push me to start to get better. What year was this? Like when, when, when did you move to Minneapolis? So this was, I think in 2017. Um, so it's, it's, it's really been like three and a half, four years that I've started to pick up the volume and take things a little bit more seriously for poker. Yeah. Do you still live in Minneapolis? I don't at this point. So I've, I've moved out to Seattle. Seattle. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Cause you said you wanted to win and I didn't know like if you regularly went out to Vegas or you'd relocated to like somewhere near Vegas, that made more sense. Uh, tell me about the Minneapolis poker scene and like those guys, like why, what was it about that scene that like was sort of reassuring and supportive? Um, so it's interesting. I, I think part of it is kind of created by the laws that exist to have spread limit cash games. Um, and as a result, there were tons of MTT tournaments basically all the time. And I, I started realizing was, very, very quickly. Was that because nobody wanted to play spread limit? <laughs> basically because there was a maximum amount that you could play for <laughs> yeah. um, that wasn't as significant as MTT wins. Gotcha. So okay. I think the MTT community started to increase in volume because of that. Mm. Um so they had, you know, pretty big tournaments, even like on a Tuesday night, they would get 250 people, um, things like that. Um, what was the buy-in for it, those guys? I want to say they were basically ranged like 200 to 300. Nice. Um, so definitely smaller in size, but um, pretty That's a 60, 60, 70K prize pool, yeah, for a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think that's... Basically, very quickly, I started recognizing the same people were winning just time and time again. And basically, I thought to myself, I can't 
keep doing what I'm doing. I obviously want to get better. And that's basically when I started to um, investigate different types of study mechanisms and things like that. And what did you investigate when you had made the decision to, to improve your poker game? Yeah, so I think the first thing for me was PokerCoaching.com, which you're, of course, a coach of. Um, so that was something that I somehow got marketed to um, and got into pretty quickly and basically started using it all the time. Um, so basically going through tons and tons of different content. And as I was going through that process, basically found myself getting more and more interested Who's your favorite coach on there? Like when you first joined, who resonated with you the most? I, th I think Jonathan was the first one for sure. Um, just because of, I guess, personality traits. I, I think there's definitely some similarities between us. And I, I think I have explored like other coaches and things like that. Um, but I, I think that's a big part of, I guess, my decision process and coaching too is making sure that the personality is a fit too. Sure. I mean, it's gotta be right. Like this is yep. oftentimes the, the most significant amount of growth we can make with a coach or a virtual mentor in that case is like, how much do we trust them and how, how much do we want to allow this person to affect the way that we do something? And if does, if, if the coach is world-class and the best coach in the world and you don't trust them, no impact is going to be made. So yep we have to, we have to invest in the folks that we trust first and foremost, any sort of light bulb moments in your early poker coaching learnings where you were like, Oh, okay. I'm starting to see this game a little bit more clearly now. I can't say there was like a specific light bulb moment. I, I think like, as I've started to get into it and I saw, you know, as I was just exploring more and more content, I just came to the real realization that I knew nothing. Um, and yeah. um, it, it was kind of like this restart process. I, I think I was kind of plagued by some early success, like in my younger years, especially of like playing with high school buddies and stuff like that, that I probably thought I was a lot better than I was. And I, I seem to have that thought basically every three months at this point. That you... <laughs> which which of those thoughts specifically that you think you thought you thought you were a lot better than you actually were? I, I think more so like that there's so much more to discover and so much mm. that's unknown. Yes. Um I don't want to disappoint you, Kev, but uh it's never <laughs> ends. Um yeah. you know, I think a recent Tactical Tuesday that I released with John just this week had me reflecting on like a specific turn spot that I was like, man, I, I need to investigate this and sort of understand like why solvers want to do what they do. Um, and it, it's just, it never ends, right? And, and that, that's the, it's like the beautiful thing and the frustrating thing is that like when you get really good and then you still start peering at like very specific spots and like breaking them open and looking at like the insides and seeing how everything fits together. You realize like, damn, like I'm still so far away <laughs> from truly understanding all the mechanisms of this game. And like, it just never ends, you know, 17 years later that I I'm here. And like, it, I think one, one takeaway from like the Galphon challenge when he was streaming against Perkins that, 
will just I'll never forget was just all the times that he's like, I don't really know. I'm unsure. I don't uh, I'm not really sure exactly what to do here. It's like, okay, well, this is just the path and we better start embracing this uncertainty because we're going to be living with it for a while as poker players. And uh, I think after you're growing and improving and sort of you're the guy that you had observed in the beginning, right? Where you're starting to have a little bit more success, starting to find yourself in the mix more frequently. What were your thoughts then? What was your experience like? Were you still bearing down into poker coaching and still just hungry to improve? I think it's a mix of both. I think sometimes, um, I guess the success can probably make you a bit lazier and just trying to, I guess, flex what you had learned so far. And then setbacks having, I guess, an inverse impact of, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing and really just kind of trying to find the balance between the two of those things. Like it can, especially now at this point, like it can feel very daunting sometimes, especially finding more and more complexity. Um, but just trying to view that as opportunity and at the same time, successes with some humility. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is opportunity, right? F gaining visibility of what we don't know is just an opportunity to grow and get better. And like the good news is because poker's your side hustle, right? Like yep. it's, uh, it's something that you can be engaged with for a very long period of time. And it's probably not going to get stale or boring or old because you're always learning. There's just always so many new things to grab a hold of. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man Coach Brad Wilson. has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize EV against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> Nuffle. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash courses. Tell me about your goals right now as a, a poker player with a successful career. Yeah, I think as far as like macro level goals, it's just to continue getting better on a daily basis. Um, so hopefully trying to increase win rate to hopefully move up in stakes and also to increase volume as much as possible. Um, I, I think that's something that plagues 
most recreationals is just trying to find the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, we, we had chatted about this a little bit historically, but sometimes there's not too much choice in when you want to play if you want to hit these volume thresholds. So trying to, trying to increase as much as possible. And as somebody that's juggling your career with lots of ambitions in the poker space, what do you do to improve on a daily basis since that's one of your goals? Um, I think there's a lot of forms of studying and I, I think it's still something I'm trying to figure out is, and I ask this question a lot is yeah. like, how, how do I effectively study? How do I prioritize things as much as possible? Is it going through hand reviews? Is it um, going through course type content? Um, trying to figure out all these different ways that I can do that. So I think that is honestly a work in progress, but I think I do find time basically every morning before I start work to at least dedicate an hour into something poker coaching related. Yeah. I think if you zoom out, what, what you'll see is, you know, you know how you're increasingly aware of the complexity, like as you learn more about the game, if you zoom out, the reason why studying can oftentimes feel very inefficient is because there's like a giant universe of things you're trying to understand. And like, it's just so overwhelming, you know, like it just, it's not moving the needle because you're looking at one specific thing and it seems very small, but like that is the way and it doesn't seem efficient because like there's really no super efficient way to just learn all the things, you know, overnight. It just takes time and dedicated energy. And, you know, I think that, like you said, this is something that we've talked about a lot in our private coaching sessions and, you know, the only way to eat an elephant is just one bite at a time. And so just getting granular is really the only way. And I think that the major, major benefits that you have in your poker career is that you're able to invest in education and coaching and stuff like that, because that, that gains, you gain so much visibility on like what you should be working on, whether or not you're on the right path, just saves. It's funny because people want the gains, without realizing that like you save a lot of energy by not studying all the wrong things <laughs> as well. Like that's like a, a benefit of cutting out the cutting out the in, super inefficient studying. So anyway, I mean, I, I think, I think it's been comforted by having some money from something else. Um, but it's definitely something that I struggled with early on is viewing it, viewing all sorts of coaching as more of an expense rather than an investment. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's been a lot easier to digest by having some income from something else. Sure. Um, to start basically approaching it much differently. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's just everybody's got to make their own decisions and everybody's at their own place in life. Uh, right. And from here, where you're trying to improve and grow, we're reaching the stage in your story where you stumble across me and Greatness Village. So tell me, how did that all come about? Fairly certain. I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure it was through PokerCoaching.com content. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was first discovered through a lot of the cash game content, et cetera. 
Um, I think I then started listening to a couple of the podcast episodes. And then I think I emailed you a couple of questions about basically what is preflop bootcamp. Um, and that was kind of the entry point for me. So I, I really didn't have, I guess, a firm idea as to what I was getting into. Um, but looking back, I'm super glad I did. And I, I think everything that's come from that alongside of all the other products and now at this point, private coaching has all been super beneficial for me. I, I appreciate it, man. When did you start getting interested in the cash game streets? Because we haven't even brought cash games yeah. into the equation yet. So I think it, it's kind of always been an interest to do both. Um, but I think I was kind of forced into it from everything pandemic um, and still experiencing it. So for instance, um, in Seattle, you basically cannot find MTTs to this date. How come? So um, it, it's just basically pandemic related. There are rooms that are still closed, et cetera. Mm, gotcha. um, so there were some historically, but that's the case now. Mixed with basically just live poker being shut down, I was kind of forced into all of it. Um, I always had an interest in cash, but I've, I've had an interest in both, to be honest. Um, and I think everything just started to accelerate from the pandemic. Yeah. Plus, you have limited time. It's easier to play cash than tournaments right. on a limited when you have limited availability. Uh, I don't think you want to start staying awake until 4 a.m. in MTTs. Yeah. <laughs> Carry over to that in your day job, probably not going to be super positive. Yeah, exactly. Um, so out of all the training platforms on the market, besides, you know, poker coaching, why stick with the CPG stuff like the fish and barrel feeding frenzy, now private coaching, nuffle, all the things. So I think initially I was drawn in probably from your personality initially. Um, so I think a lot of that was from listening to podcasts, et cetera. And then once I did preflop bootcamp, that was basically proof to me that everything you're going to create is going to provide extensive value. So for me, I, I didn't think initially I was going to get like a ton out of it. I've I had obviously seen like tons of range charts previously and things like that. And um, I think I had like a, a general understanding, but I think it was broken down in such a way that it was so much more digestible than it's ever been presented to me. Um, there were a couple of different ideas as part of it. And ultimately it just paid for itself really quickly. So from there, it was basically just like, what's next? I, and just, and, I appreciate and the kind words, man. Down. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the kind words and yeah. Bootcamp is a weird thing for me. I, I don't, I still, I, it's the foundation of all the stuff. And sometimes I still don't know how to feel about, <laughs> about preflop bootcamp because it's, <laughs> it's just like, like I've said many times on the show, it's not always sexy learning a fundamental preflop strategy, but it's so impactful. Yep, exactly. Cool. So from now, you know, we're kind of in the present, right? Cause you've worked your way yep. through all the CPG courses. I assume you're still on the tournament trail at poker coaching. Um, yep. What does the future look like for you in the world of poker? Like, where would you like to see yourself moving forward? I mean, it's a, it's a really good question um, that I 
don't feel I need to have like a definitive answer at this point. Um, I think I just want to continue to get better, to hopefully continue to move up in stakes, continue to put in as much volume as I can to eventually provide whatever opportunities the future presents for me. Yeah. And I mean, you're at 200 and L right now. So once you hit the 500 and then 1K, like it, there's not a ton of room to go up in the cash game streets. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to scale the mountain um, yep. very quickly. Right. But uh, the beautiful thing is, like we said before, at least with cash games, like people, there, uh, there's like different types of people in the world where like some people are just drawn to cash games. Some people are drawn to tournaments and cash games can be like somewhat mechanical and somewhat robotic because it's like same situations or similar situations that occur quite frequently. But for me, like I I think there's the beauty of starting with a hundred big blinds and trying to adapt to the strategies that your opponents are deploying and learning what they're doing and being a part of like the evolution of the game over time, because it does evolve and change and the strategies become more complex and stronger. And you've got to stay ahead of the curve if you want to maintain edge. And that ongoing battle for me has just always felt real appealing. So like even, you know, when you do, when you do get to the top of the mountain in the streets, it's still, there's still so much to learn. It's never, it's never boring. What would you say is the most unexpected thing that's happened to you in your poker journey thus far? not totally sure (laughs) um i would i guess say i guess coming to terms with humility in a sense and trying to uh, embark on something that's extremely complicated what do you mean by humility i I think just constantly getting reminded of how much i do not know as (laughs) i continue to explore and Basically, um, I guess having to deal with that from a personality standpoint is pretty tough. So to to kind of, you know, to what we were speaking to earlier and balancing both the success and setbacks of, um, I guess, uh, just just uh, staying level-headed throughout all of that. And ha- have you learned any lessons from poker that you've applied in your career i do think there can definitely be some similarities and i i think there are some i'm not sure if they were directly learned from one or the other but are certainly applicable to both um and just thinking abstractly and trying to think of creative ways to problem solve um for sure i i would say that's probably top of the list yeah problem solving is like pretty much the reason why i'm a poker player because I love solving problems. I was like the kid that is like eight years old and you could give them like some sort of logic problem and I would never want anyone to tell me any answer. Like if I can't figure this out on my own, I don't deserve to know, leave me alone and I would just obsess over it until I could figure it out. And I think that that's sort of my personality trait that's probably necessary to make it in the poker world. Just you have to be... You have to be excited to realize you don't know something and then solve that problem. Like I think that's really how how you got to be constructed. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? That is a good question. I think there's like a couple of standouts 
Um, but I, I, I think like a big piece of it, I, I think there's like moments and then I think there's like traits. I, I think it's kind of like a mix of the two. I think like traits wise, it's fulfilled a lot of competition that I've lost from not playing competitive sports at this point. Um, I think it's provide, provided an outlet for things that I'm interested in um, for both math and psychology. But I think above all that, it, it's being the sole decision maker um, where basically everything rests on my shoulders. And I think over time, I've, I've kind of come to realize that um, that's something that I really enjoy about it um, is that basically I'm in control of decisions yeah it reminds me of the movie the replacements and uh gene hackman telling keanu reeves or shane falco that winners want the ball winner at the end of the game the winners want the ball right and i think that like as poker players we want the ball we we want to be the ones in the arena making the decision we don't want to rely on anybody else we want to be in charge and again that's another trait that i think serves poker players very well just being happy with the pressure and uh flip side of that so when you think about pain in your career playing cards what's the first memory that comes to mind it it probably doesn't sound the best but probably some notable bad beats um and coming to terms with them um so I, i think there's like one in particular that like still sticks with me for sure um that um you know you hope and wish that things went another way but it didn't and well, um, come on you you gotta tell you gotta say the bad beat i mean we we can't leave the listener on pins <laughs> and needles wondering yeah so um it was my first uh wsop experience um which was really only like two years ago um so i went down to play in four events just a couple of small tournaments and in my very first one, I made a very deep run. Um, so I think we were down to basically two tables. And I really, really wanted to make the final table. So at that point, against what I probably should have been doing, I was being pretty conservative at this point. Um, and I recall some of the details, but um, I think the gist of it was basically Button raise, small blind, flat. I I ended up flatting with ace king. King came on the flop, and all of a sudden we were a three way all in for a massive chip lead, and it runner runner flushed, and I lost. Um, so I I think that one in particular definitely stuck out just because um, I probably undeservingly um, got pretty far in it, um, but uh, it it definitely like stung a bit. What were you feeling? I assume I assume you cashed for a decent amount making the final two tables. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the time, it was definitely my biggest score for sure. And I was definitely happy and proud that I got there. Um, but it, it definitely hurt just knowing, you know, I guess how close I was. Yeah. The, the feeling that I have felt when I bust out of tournaments is like, especially when I'm like rolling, like I'm doing well. Yeah, and I feel exactly. like yeah, like I'm I'm strapping in, baby. I'm yeah. here. I'm here for the duration of this thing. And then all of a sudden, like, it happened in one tournament. I believe it was in Biloxi, where like I had 
tons of chips. I was like six X above average or something. I, I like eight hours in and there was another dude at my table, like probably the only player in the room that had me covered. And like, I flopped a set, they flopped a flush draw and <laughs> piles and piles of chips got in yeah, and exactly. they made a flush. And I, I remember like standing up from the table and just thinking like, wow, like I don't get to play anymore. <laughs> like I used to just <laughs> 10 seconds ago, all my chips were right in front of me and I, I had a seat at the table and now I got nothing. Um, always this like feeling of shock busting out yeah, on spots exactly. like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, it should have, should have gone another way, but you got back on the horse. I think you, uh, you're still in the MTT streets. Tell me about your recent win at the win. Yeah. So I, I was definitely encouraged from that experience that I was just talking about. And I, I mentioned I went down there for four tournaments. I cashed in three of them. So I kind of, I guess, felt on top of the world. And then all of a sudden, pandemic came. Um, so I kind of put everything on hold. Um, and then as basically I got vaccinated, I got comfortable to go play in some live tournaments. Um, so I went to Vegas for basically five weeks in total, um, played in a bunch of different tournaments, played some cash as well, played in this win tournament specifically, um, and basically fought my way to first. Um, so there wasn't really too much as, as far as like notable hands and things like that. It just kind of felt like, it was I day. guess one of those moments we were just speaking to is like, you know, you just feel like not just that you're in total control, but things are going your way too. Yeah. Except in this case, you know, you didn't get crack back blocked on the, on the way out. You, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you pulled it down in this, this path of learning and growing and constantly striving to improve as a poker player. Uh, what would you say is some, some common advice that you heard even a few years back that today you completely disagree with? Well, I think one of the, one of the, I guess, big ones that still gets referenced a lot is just the, I guess, toughness of online poker. Um, so while it's certainly the case and much more difficult than playing live, it is a beatable game. Um, and I, I, I think it's also, um, I think I've benefited from pushing myself a little bit harder, um, in order to win in some of these games. But I, I think, and probably the reason I didn't do it sooner was just constant talk of how difficult it was yeah um so yeah i so i'm actually coming to some conclusions here i had pad on pads on um patrick leonard just like a week or so ago and we were talking about his career and you know notably he like worked his way up the leaderboard became number one player in the world after a very short period of time and you know he just said (laughs) I, I can't remember the context or why it came out, but basically he said that in his 10 years of playing at MTTs, he's never had a losing month. And to just for most people, including myself, actually, as it relates to MTTs, this is something that like I would think is not possible. But the fact that someone has done it 
leads me to believe that in the MTT space, perhaps variants, perhaps bad runs, perhaps um, all these things are still a little bit overblown. And there is a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room to grab edge, a lot of room to have more consistent results than people often think about as it relates to MTT specifically. And I know that like in the, you know, 2007 to like 2010 timeframe uh, playing in the cash streets, I believe I had one losing month as well over like three years. And I think I had one like losing like 1K month and then one break even month over the course of like 36 or 48 months. And I think that like you can have consistent results if you bear down and if you're actively learning and trying to grow on a regular basis and like you're not resigned to going on a 50 buy-in downswing, you're not resigned to, you know, going on a six month break even stretch at MTTs. Uh, because like there are people out there who exist that haven't gone through that, right? That kind of right. give us proof that it's not necessary. And I think that like, I just, I, I think that what happens is when people struggle at poker, the first thing they do is start trying to blame something. And the thing that they often blame is the difficulty of the game. And they say, well, you know, I haven't won for three months, so the game must be very difficult because I'm a very smart person. And if I'm a very smart person that can't win, therefore the game must be unbeatable, right? And yep. these opinions just get tossed around and they just kind of get sewn into the fabric of what the poker world believes. And I just think that most of it is absolute horseshit. And, uh, a, a, you know, a great example of that specifically is like John, you know, Tactical Tuesday co-host, he thought online was just full of Terminators and Crushers and that he had no chance because everybody he played with live said he has no chance. You can't make the transition to online poker. It's too hard. It's like, no, I think, you can. I think, you know, quite honestly, that that's part of, I guess, what pushed me to move up a little quicker in addition to getting encouraged to do so um, is just seeing a lot of people in the greatest village succeeding. So it it was kind of like confirmation to me that it is possible and actually a lot of people are doing it. Yeah, a lot more than you would think, right? And um, yeah, so for the listener, if you work hard, it is possible. Like I'm not saying it's a guarantee or it's a lock, but you, you're probably capable of more than you give yourself credit for. And that this is probably true for just human beings across the board. I think we're all yeah. probably a lot more capable than we give ourselves credit um, credit for. Tell me, do you, you a reader? You read many poker books? I, I would say that's kind of like the extent of my reading. <laughs> <laughs> so since it's all fresh in your mind and you're in full immersion mode and growth mode as a poker player, if you could gift the Chasing Poker Greatness listener a book to read, what would it be and why? I think it is a lot of the mental game of poker books. I, I think that was pretty eye-opening for me because I, I I think that's a lot of the things that get experienced early on um, until you start to become a lot more comfortable with it. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things on the mental side that I, I'm definitely still working on, but um, it definitely helped me out for sure. Yeah, it's the... Once you understand like a lot of the fundamentals, then it's <laughs> keeping those fundamentals in place when 
you start facing additional pressure, pressure of downswings, pressure of getting unlucky, unlucky pressure of making bad decisions and being forced to look at those bad decisions in the face and overcome them and keep pushing forward. Like all of that mental game stuff is just, yeah, it's a, it's a, this is a game of willpower and brain power and you just have to work on your resilience. There's just no if, ands, or buts about it. Because like I said, you know, maybe it is possible that pads won 10 years in a row, month after month, never had a losing month, right? But even still, you have yeah. to be, that's never going to happen if you're not mentally resilient and at the top of your peak mentally. Because yeah, it, downswings, bad stuff happens to everybody. It's all about the recovery. So final question. And this is what we'll leave the listener with. If you could erect a billboard, every CPG listener has to drive past on their way to the casino. What would you put on your billboard? Uh, I think to a similar tune, just one day at a time. Um, so, so I think it crosses what we had spoken to you for, you know, both successes and setbacks that it's a marathon. So basically to um, both be gracious, have humility, see, you know, that the infinite as opportunity is definitely the approach that I'm trying to take. Awesome, man. I'll be excited to maybe bring you back on the show after we start climbing some more mountains. And it's exciting. Okay. It's exciting being a part of your journey. And thank you for your time and your energy. Very grateful. Have a good rest of your day, Kev. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.